Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour. Bring you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of farming, food and agribusiness. I want to thank you all for joining me this evening. And a quick week since last Wednesday evening. Weather not fantastic over the course of the last seven days. Saturday was a terrible day all over the Midlands, especially Saturday morning up until about 2pm. But then it did blow up. Last couple of days, not too bad. But we are looking like an Indian summer for this weekend. 22 degrees for Saturday is what it's promised at the moment. Don't hold me to it. We have a few days to go, but uh, very dry weather. And wouldn't that be fantastic? There is lots of grass around. So a dry spell like that now is exactly what the doctor ordered. Fingers crossed for that this coming weekend. Now, this week, lots to catch up on here on the programme over the course of the next hour. And the two suckler schemes for beef cattle, the beef welfare scheme and the SCEP, the Suckler Carbon Efficiency Programme. It's hard to know the difference between the two of these and there's lots of overlaps on them and there's lots of deadlines coming up as well this month from weighing to tissue samples and indeed blood samples in some cases. So what we're going to do in a little bit is have Adam Woods from the Farmer's Journal joining me. He's going to run through all the dates that you need to be aware of and some of them are coming up at the end of the month. So uh, stay tuned for that and you'll know what you have to do to comply with the requirements of both of those schemes. Now deer are an issue for lots of farmers but especially those of you in and around the sleeve blooms their numbers have increased exponentially over the past few years and that's as a result of COVID with the closing of restaurants it saw demand uh, hit pretty much zero this led to a surge in numbers in particular females and uh, they've gone on and on to multiply and multiply over the last couple of years there's a deer forum has been set up to throw around some ideas as to what can be done about them and one of these ideas is paying licensed hunters and farmers a fee per head to shoot deer and uh, it's one of the suggestions which seems like it's going to be taken on board. Gerald O'Brien is a Kilkenny man and he is secretary with the Irish Wild Deer Association. He's joining me later and he's going to chat about these proposals and also just how expensive it is to purchase deer licenses for given areas and uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher. The, the numbers are huge and we want to try and get deers down yet very, very expensive to get into certain areas. We're going to hear about that in a little bit. Now, the new forestry programme has officially been given the checkered flag. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this since the very start of the year. It was announced last December. It's now October, so we're about uh, 11, 10 months since it's been announced. It's uh, officially been launched, but it has, has been overshone, I should say, by the findings of a review on farmers affected by ash dieback. So that report was published yesterday and farmers who have suffered from ash dieback are looking for compensation and until that comes, the new forestry scheme will struggle to get going. Uh, Later, Leishman and chair of the Leash Farm Forestry Producers Group, Michael McAvoy, will join me to chat about what exactly forestry owners feel would be a just and fair compensation. Uh, This Friday is the National Potato Day. That's the 6th of October. And a recent Board B survey has stated that potatoes are eaten in 98% of Irish households over the course of a given year. So essentially every house in the country has a potato on the table at some stage. And I'd say that 98%, if you were to ask how many days of the year, some households would be 98%. Again, I'd be guessing nearly 100. And Mike Neary 
is from Bordbia. He's uh, part of the horticulture department there. He's going to chat to us later about the humble spud and just how popular it is in the country. That National Potato Day has been going for about 10 years now and it is where we celebrate our potato and it has such a deep-rooted history in Ireland as well, dating back so, so long. So we're going to talk to Mike in a little bit. Now, as always, text the show with comments, thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103. Be happy to put anything to our guests this evening or indeed read out a text if you pop one into me. Uh, we are starting this evening with the beef and the sheep trade and we have the man in the know. That's Martin Coughlin from County Waterford. Martin, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you very much. And just in relation to the humble potato, uh, don't forget your humble chip as well. Well, exa- would you believe, Martin, that's uh, pretty much what this campaign is about. It talks about the potato, but it also talks about the really sustainable model that we have in Ireland where we grow spuds and then they are cooked and eaten in local chippers. So usually just down the road. And it is one of those stories of success. Well, can success. I just maybe put a slight damper on that, right? My local chipper and um, in, in the town of Carrick, on sure, they have to bring in the uh, their chips from the UK. So the owner told me on more than one occasion over the last number of years, and apparently this is quite common, that whatever the, the requirement is for the type of chips that they uh, require, um, they're, they've been brought in from the UK, which is kind of a huge anomaly when you give a, give our love affair with the humble potato. Well, Martin, you're going to have to stay listening after you finish your contribution this evening. Yes. You're going to have to text me in and I'm going to put that to Mike Neary at about uh, half past seven. But we're going to move away mm. from the spud for a moment, Martin, and we're going to ask you, how's the weather down in Waterford? Uh, we had lots of rain up here the last week and uh, lots of ground is waterlogged. But look, we have dry weather coming. Is it the same story with yourselves? It is the same story uh, down here as well. Like uh, um, Hurricane Agnes, or the Storm Agnes was due on Wednesday. I put in what stock I had here into the yards on Tuesday evening and I did not let them out again until uh, Sunday afternoon, to be perfectly honest. If they had been kept out, it would have been a complete and utter mess. Mm. And the amount, the volume of water, now we had we had a little bit of storm damage as in trees were, were knocked, but the volume of water that fell in this part the country as is in probably a lot of others was just mind-bending because I have a very traditional uh, watering pond as a lot of farms would have and I tidied it up a couple of years ago made it a little bit deeper and you know cleaned it up and all of that sort of stuff thing. For most of this year, there's been very little water in the bottom of that pond. But when I went out on uh, Sunday morning, just to have a look around to see, there was over two and a half feet of water in this particular pond. Now, granted, the ground around it to the north of it all runs into it. But the the amount of water that fell was just unbelievable. Mm, Yeah, similar to... and it, it it has had obviously a huge uh, impact on the, on the cattle trade. Um, the numbers of cattle slaughtered last uh, last week headed up around the thirty seven thousand uh, head mark, I believe. Um, figures I had there on Sunday was around thirty six and a half thousand, but I believe they're maybe even a little bit stronger than than that. Um, which shows, like, when it comes to this time of the year, like you you have only X number of choices to actually make. Do you, you keep the cattle, do you put them in, or do you take a hit and say, uh, we will sell them now 
because the factories obviously took advantage of the situation and they, in effect, pulled prices by almost 10 cents. Well, not necessarily prices, but their quotes. Some factories were quoting there on Sunday evening, Monday morning, um, like as low as 4.55. But my understanding is from talking to a number of people that very little have been bought at those prices, like 4.60 for bullets, 4.65 for heifers, and maybe a little pigeon more in in uh, in 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 some in some places at this uh, stage. So those uh, factory prices, though, Martin, and this is a story I've been saying regularly on the program over the course of summer. They don't translate across to the mar prices. Uh, mar prices, mm. as you say in your article yesterday, the headline is mar prices defy logic to stay high even as numbers soar and factory quotes slip. It's a head scratcher. Uh, who is buying mm. these expensive store cattle? I was looking at Burr on Monday, uh, Martin. You'd see regularly a small little store of cattle, three fifty, three sixty, three seventy, Angus heifers, whitehead heifers. They make an eight fifty, nine hundred euro, up on mm. not a million miles off. Well, not quite three euro a kilo, but uh, definitely north of two fifty. It's it's big big money considering where the factory trade is at. Yeah, that's it. It would appear like for a lot of people, there's a lot of confidence in in the trade, or maybe a nervousness uh, would be as good a phrase uh, uh, as any. In in that people who farmers who are going out to buy now have slaughtered cattle in the last month, the last two months, and there is a lot of money in the system. The fear is though that the quality and the numbers that you may want may not actually be there if you were to hold off for for too too long. I have heard numerous stories from lots of different sources of some of the bigger feeders being advised by the, the their, their factory bosses or uh, the people they actually deal with, not necessarily their, but their bosses, to hold back on on uh, on buying. But this posed the problem, which uh, posed an issue, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is what happens if all of those big big feedlots decide to go out and start buying in or around the same time? Like that's going to obviously put huge competition into the market as well. Um, and you, you do have a good lot of cattle being bought as well, particularly forward cattle and heavy cattle to go north of the border uh, to, to be either fattened or slaughtered in the north. And that's obviously helping as well. Uh, those men who are buying that have obviously, of course, the benefit of uh, sterling, which is about 81, 82 um, Sorry, the 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 yeah, uh, what we put one seventeen, one eighteen, I think to the uh, euro, and like that's a help as well to like to the to the trade. But it is like the the, the situation is now at this stage is that given the year that we've had uh, and that weather wasn't particularly good for a, a lot of it. I know we're going to have good weather this this weekend, but. Uh, like how cattle have throve fairly well, but possibly not to the same extent. Figures I have seen would indicate that uh, for the first six to seven months of the year, the way the the average weight of cattle in the country we slaughtered may actually have fallen by around five kilos, uh, depending on whether it's bullocks or heifers or bulls. Mm-hmm. Although I, th- I think actually bulls actually went up, but uh, that's uh, an issue as well. And men are coming to 
to the uh, situation now that where you have cattle on grass, exactly how much more tribe are you going to be able to get out of them now at the moment? And of course, when the factories pull the price, that puts an automatic nervousness into the trade. And while we do have the good weather coming, I know myself from my own experience, is that after the bad weather we've, we've, we've just had, when a few good days will come and things will, will, will dry up, a lot of men will start to go through their cattle because the weather will be good enough. Nobody wants to be standing out in the pouring rain trying to read tag numbers. And I expect that numbers will continue reasonably strong for the next at least two weeks, to be honest about it, and probably, probably beyond that. Because the reality of it is we are at that time of the year when these are the sorts of decisions that farmers will have to make. What what do I do? Do like do do I slaughter now? Uh, do I sell now and take the price? Okay, maybe in a month's time things might be better, but will, will the costs uh, balance out that particular uh, equation for you? Like that, if, if you actually hold them in the in in the hope that you might actually in the hope that you might actually get more. Um, and as I said. When you look at the mark situation and talking to mark managers like who would be asking the same questions of their customers occasionally just casually like as to how they can justify the prices a lot of these men have their have cattle sold and they have money in the bank and they are reinvesting it but it would appear that a lot of people do believe that the trade will be firm going forward now it's it's very difficult to judge that um at like at the moment, particularly with the factories pulling prices the way the way that they are. And just on sheep, uh, before I let you go, Martin, a quote here from ICSA, Sean McNamara, a Westmead man. He's adamant that falling numbers will affect prices, saying if factories could pull prices, they would, but the numbers are not working in their favour. So reasonable news for sheep farmers for the time being? Yeah, prices is actually firmed from about last Thursday by about 10, 10 cents a kilo. Um, you're looking, I think, roughly at about prices between 6.20 to 6.50, including uh, your various... Um, uh, your like the quality assurance and the various bonuses that would have to be paid, uh, like to the producer groups and that. That like that is the situation now. I don't actually have. Uh, well, I do. I, I do know that this last week prices being paid by the factories were the same from the previous week, but they were also exactly the same as they were for the same week 12, 12 months ago. So we're no worse, the, the sheepmen are no worse off than what they were at that particular time. But the biggest issue on the sheep side appears to be the fact that there's very little enthusiasm among the younger generation to take on, uh, to get involved in, in the trade and, 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 and breed sheep. And as Sean McNamara, as you mentioned him, said to me there before, he said, throwing government money at the problem of subsidies is not the answer because the generation coming on are smart enough to realise that effectively what you're doing here is trying to farm for, sub- for subsidies and the trade itself is not actually profitable. And they're not really prepared to do that. Um, a lot of them are not anyway. Absolutely, Martin. And well said, I have to say at the end. Um, I'm going to let you go because I'm going to a break. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here on the programme. We'll speak to you again. Good meal, Margaret. Thank you very much. 
uh, Martin Coughlin there from the Farming Independent and uh, a great rundown. Uh, Martin always has his own take on things, I have to say. Uh, he's uh, very forthright in his views. I often chat to Martin, I give him a call, uh, say on a, a Tuesday or Wednesday, ask him to come on the programme. I could spend 30 or 40 minutes talking to him uh, about different aspects of agriculture and he always has a very interesting take on things. And just what he finished up there on sheep farming. Uh, look, the same could be said for lots of different areas other than dairy and pretty much uh, for beef or for sheep farming uh, the younger generation coming on it is uh, it's not a bright future there's no point saying any different and it's hard to see younger people investing time and effort into something when they can go and work and get paid better and get paid properly for their time and it is it's a real problem in Irish agriculture there's no question about it now coming up after the break going to talk to Ger O'Brien from County Kilkenny He's going to be speaking to me about deer. So if you are farming in around the sleeve blooms and you have a deer issue, this will be right up your alley. And indeed, if you're not, deer are involved in all areas of agriculture because, look, they're blamed, whether it's right or wrong, uh, for TB a lot of the time. So we're going to hear about the Deer Forum and the suggestions which they have to curtail numbers in just a moment. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. And we're moving on to the subject of deer. And we have Ger O'Brien from the Irish Wild Deer Society joining us. Ger, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Yes, MJ, no problem at all. Ger, uh, I came across an article in last week's Farmer's Journal about this whole area of deer and the numbers and this deer forum. So look, I've been speaking on the programme here for the last number of months about the different forums. There's a tillage group and a dairy group and there's all these different groups. But there's a deer group as well, according to this, and uh, they've been coming up with some different ideas about how to... Uh, contain numbers so we'll start with that uh, numbers of deer have grown and grown and grown and uh, you were saying to me earlier on COVID is one of the main reasons for this it is really there's, there's um, normally around 40,000 deer shot per year uh, nationally in, in the country and um, when COVID hit then there was very little uh, deer taken out of the system so you ended up with we'd say about 20,000 more deer breeding than would normally be breeding on a normal year and and we had that then for maybe three years in a row so that's really where, where the problem has come from and uh, the problem according to the article then is with uh, female deer so s- female deers are, are small and they're not really worth uh, the while of the hunter uh, shooting them and then taking them off the mountain and bringing them to a game dealer because essentially won't get anything and therein lies the problem so they're trying to encourage uh, the department trying to encourage licensed uh, hunters and farmers to shoot female deer at a certain time of the year yeah you see um the male deer, uh, which the season is in at the moment for male deer, you get a reason, reasonable return from a game dealer going with them. And you get a reasonable return from the females, we'll say, earlier in the season. But once you head into the springtime, um, anytime after Christmas, they lose a lot of condition. The meat-to-bone ratio is quite poor on them. And game dealers don't want the smaller animals because they still pay the same veterinary fees to get them inspected. They still pay the same amount um, from their staff to get them skinned and everything else and butchered and uh, they don't particularly want them and the, one of the solutions to that then is to uh, offer, some, offer some form of a subsidy and they're talking about something as low as 30 euro or something that you might get 20 euro off the game dealer and maybe a subsidy of 30 euro on top of that and that should encourage people to take out more females out of the system because they are the problem. Taking out males is never going to solve anyone's problem. 
it's it's the breeding females need to be taken out. Yeah, it's it's small money. It's not huge amounts, but uh, do you think this amount is going to encourage people to go to the uh, go to the trouble and go to the work of uh, of shooting the female deer? Like you know, twenty thirty euro, I suppose, over the course of a day, maybe it'll add up. But still, it's not, it's not big money. It's not big money. No, no, it's quite small, and it may not be enough. Like I mean, that's the figure that they came up with as a recommendation. Um, I think we said it probably is a bit small, but. Um, a certain amount of them are shot anyway, so if if, if they, to give that little bit of an incentive for people to, because people are just walking away from those smaller animals, like and, and what happens is they're shooting the bigger animal, which tends to be a male, and then you're leaving the problem behind, and you have that as one of the problems, and then you have the commercial operators. Then uh, as a major part of the problem as well, um, the commercial operators will approach any farmer at this time of the year looking for permission to hunt but they want trophies and they want males and, and when it comes to the springtime those guys are not to be seen you know and, and that's part of the problem as well and also even with the uh, the problem and as the deer as I said on, on the uh, on the outset deer are, are blamed for TB whether it's right wrong or indifferent but they're, it's, it's put down to them anyway uh, there is a, a big impediment on um, people with uh, gun licenses to go and shoot deer because if you're going into a, a large quilcha owned uh, wood for example you have to you have to pay up front and it's not a small amount No it's serious money I mean there was always commercial operators there to some degree, but now the American market has opened up to us here and the commercial operators are paying double and treble what they used to pay and, and they were confined to forestry shooting only, but now they're buying up all the farmland as well and it's a false economy for farmers really that, that um, you will get money from the commercial operators to shoot trophy animals, we'll say September, October, those guys disappear then in, in later on when the female season come in and um, they will send in returns saying they're shooting females but the game dealers will tell you directly that they're not getting the females from them. So that that's that's where a lot of the problem is coming from. And no no wonder then, uh, Ger, that a lot of this goes underground and people start uh, hunting, uh, you know, w- without maybe, not without permission, look, landowners le- let them in, but uh, there is a, a lot of people will, will go in, you know, without the correct permission, shall we say, but there's no, uh, there's no, re- no question that this is going to happen if you're going to start charging huge amounts of money and, uh, and people want to, want to go in and hunt. So the, the problem really needs to be kind of ironed out and opened up and made more transparent. Yeah, the only advice we'd have for, for farmers in, in that regard is to, whoever they're letting on the land, first make sure that they're competent. In other words, because if, if you let on somebody on, on your land to hunt and you haven't satisfied yourself that they are competent and an accident happens, you're liable because you're obliged to make sure that, that person was competent to, say, to do what he said he was going to do. So make sure they're competent, number one, which they'll have either... A HCAP cert or a Country Sports Ireland cert or an RGC cert. You'd have to have a cert from somebody saying they completed a course mm. and then they have to have insurance. And definitely the NRGC insurance is probably the best insurance data and if, if, or the IFA insurance, of course. And uh, But really important before anything, before you talk about deer or anything else, those are the two things you must you must have. Mm. And again then after that then local. If you can get a local man, go for the local man because he understands the area, he understands 
the lie of the land, he understands where cattle are and everything else, you know, and, and the local man is not going to do any damage on you anyway, you know, so those are the three things we recommend. Yeah, very good advice, Ger, no question about it. Lastly, Ger, I think there's a bit of a, a shortfall or a bit of a, a lack of connecting the dots myself. I was speaking to a friend of mine last week and he went for a meal and he had a, a fillet of venison and I think it was 40 euro on the uh, the restaurant's uh, menu. Venison is seen as a premium, premium quality product in restaurants and yet here we are in this position where people are getting small money to shoot them and there seems to be almost a lack of joined up thinking as to how they can be made into a really commercially viable uh, outlet for uh, for hunters. Yeah, well, uh, as part of the Deer Forum that I was involved in, uh, we also had Borbia there as well to see can they come up with some way of marketing the product because venison is a fantastic product. It, it's a real low in fat um, and and high in protein. You know, it's a really good, really good food handled properly. And a lot of people will say, oh, I got venison. It was de- desperate. It was horrible or whatever. It has to be handled properly. That's why we run courses on, on, on um, carcass handling and on butchery to show people that are into hunting how to handle the carcass properly because if they're handled properly, there's, there's a major difference between that and an animal that's not handled properly, that's shot badly, through in the boot of a car, not hung in a cold room. You know, there's no comparison. Like, you know, so that's why we run courses for people that um, want, want to do that. But if you can get it off of... Um, a reputable hunter that has all the certs. Uh, venison is a fantastic product. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jerry. I love it. I think it's great. It's, it's great stuff, as you say, if you if you get the right uh, the right product. Jerry, I'm going to say many many thanks. Uh, really enjoyed the chat there for the last few minutes, and uh, you're part of the Irish Wild Deer Society. And uh, hopefully, we'll speak to you again in the program at some stage. Yeah, no problem. And if any farmers have problems, um, we have members in every county. You just contact us through our secretary of WDAI.ie and. Um, we can send on somebody to look at your problem if, if you have one. Lovely stuff. Many thanks, Ger. Okay, MJ. Thank you. Ger uh, O'Brien there from the Irish Wild uh, Deer Association. And uh, as Ger said, if you have any issue with deer, uh, give them a call. You'll get them online. Uh, just put in Irish Wild Deer. They'll pop up there in Google and there's a phone number and someone will come back to you uh, immediately. And uh, really on the venison, I think uh, Board B, I'm speaking to someone from Board B in a few moments now, uh, the representative is in part of the horticulture section, but uh, definitely uh, a push on venison by Board B uh, uh, makes complete sense uh, given they are so plentiful throughout the country and uh, the meat is just so, so good. Now, coming up after the break, we're talking about the sucker schemes. So what you need to do if you're part of SCEP or if you're part of the Beef Welfare Scheme. And also, we're talking about National Potato Day, which is occurring this Friday. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, we're looking at the suckler schemes and all the different dates you need. And we have Adam Woods from the Farmer's Journal with us. Adam, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Good evening, MJ. Uh, you're uh, multitasking this evening, Adam. You're uh, minding small well, people as well just, in the background, Ger. Just inside just rugby training here. In, ah, yeah. Well, listen, if we, if, we, if, we yeah. Hear, if we hear any noises in the background, <laughs> we know where it's coming from. Uh, you were down at the ploughing last week, down in our own neck of the woods, or two weeks ago, I should say, Adam, down in our own neck of the woods. How would you fare out? Yeah, good. Look, it's great to meet people, MJ. Uh, a lot of people into the stand for the three days. I suppose some people disappointed with the number of livestock there. Um, a lot of comments made about, I suppose, livestock. Mm. You know, a lot of people go to ploughing. I know ploughing is known for machinery, machinery exhibits, but 
a lot of people go there for the livestock as well and I suppose some people are disappointed with the numbers there. Yeah, but, same uh, same, said, same was said to myself actually, Adam. Yeah, it's funny you say that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, look, it was it was a bit mucky but look, it, it was what it was. People kind of had a, yeah, a smile on their plowing, faces. You sort, of ex- you sort of expect that of ploughing, don't you, in terms of that, that sort of... Uh, and, and in fairness, it, as you went on through the week, it wasn't near as bad as the first day, but it was just unfortunate that that happened the first day. Yeah, 100%. These uh, schemes, Adam, the SCIP and the uh, the National Beef Welfare Scheme, look, there's lots of dates here at the moment, and I kind of want to just iron it out here for our listeners, what we need to do on what given day. So if we just look at SCIP first, uh, SCIP is the one, as farmers say, is this the one where you have to weigh the cows, uh, weigh the cows and calves? And the answer to that is yes. When does that need to be done by? That's the first question, Adam. Yeah, so that's the 1st of November, MJ. All wait uh, with ICDF by the 1st of November. That can be uh, submitted online on your Herb Plus account. Um, so very, very important that the cow and calf is weighed on the one day. Very similar to, to, to Beef S, uh, the, the scheme that we would have had in other years. It's, it's the exact same, except this is part of SCEP now. It's part of the BDGP scheme or whatever. Um, so, so those weights need to be su- submitted by the 1st of November. So it's only a, a little while away. Um, and plus the big one there, the, the the next date coming up there is the 16th of October, which is only um, around the corner. And that you have to be quality assured uh, by the 16th of October uh, to be to be part of that. We'll say skep scheme. The department have we have it in the paper tomorrow. The department have issued a, a, a press release today or, or some information today around um, actually if farmers have have applied by the 16th of October for quality assurance, um, you can push that out to January in terms of actually getting mm. quality assured. You won't get your skip payment in December when it should come if you're not quality assured. So it's, it's, there's 3,000 farmers out there, MD. You wouldn't believe this, but there's 3,000 farmers out there who haven't become quality assured yet and who okay. are members of SCEP. So, so they really need to get, get, in, get, get in gear there and get that, get that going. And then the last date is the 31st of October, and that's the one for the 50% four and five star genotype females uh, in your herd. So if you had a reference number of 20 females, 10 of those have to be genotype four and five star by the 31st of October. Very important there because if you don't hit that, there's fines and penalties along the way there. And, and that's your tissue sample, your ear tag sample, Adam, is it the genotype yeah, so, sample? So, 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 so basically, well, well you, you, they have to be genotyped. The females that are in your herd uh, have to be genotyped four or five star um, in, in, in the herd on the 31st of October. There's another one there then around uh, sort of genotype and 70% of the reference number of your calves has to be genotyped um, in any one year. So that's a separate, we'll say genotype and that's genotyping the calves in your herd but for the females, that's the most important one coming up now on the 21st of October, 50%, four and five star. Just to go through your cows, make sure you have enough, make sure you have maybe one extra, but God forbid, maybe one uh, passes away or something happens. Um, you need you need to have, we'll say, the 50% figured out. And the overlap then with your with your skip, Adam, is the, and I see it here on the, on your own paper, on the, on the journal from last week, I'm looking at it in front of me, is the National Genotyping Programme. Now, this is separate and this is run by the ICBF. But if you get into this and our deadline is the 31st of October, this is going to tick the box for you, essentially for your genomic samples for SCEP going forward. I'm correcting that, am yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, really important. for We've we, we a lot of new people joining SCEP that weren't on BDGB before. So if they join this scheme, they will actually get their cows done for free um, in 2023. But the big one for me is, a lot of farmers have asked me the question, should I join this genotyping program? The big one for me is, we're part-time farming at home. You, you tag your calves in the spring, and then you get the list of tags that you need to tag, we'll say, come May or June, and you have to get it back in the cattle again mm-hmm. to tag them for the genotyping scheme. If, if, we, if, if we join the genotyping scheme, we can tag everything at birth. And basically, that's them genotyped then for, for our life. Yeah. So there's none of this sending out tags in mid-summer 
and, and then bringing the cattle back in to tag them. And that, that's the beauty of it for me in terms of that, that genotype of scheme. Yeah, it's a no-brainer no really, uh, Adam, to, to, to join up to that because it's the same for every suckler farmer. Uh, you want to lessen the workload. Look, that's the suckler, um, the SCEP, the, the, the Carbon Efficiency Programme. The other one is the National Beef Welfare Scheme. There's one real main thing we have to do for this by the end of the month and that's a little bit more arduous. Yeah, a little bit, I guess. The, the big one, this is the controversial one. We've we got figures on this again for tomorrow's paper with 16,000 farmers in here. A bit disappointing, to be honest, in terms of participation rate here in this one. But the big one here was the big argument was that the, the IBR testing. Um, farmers didn't agree with it. Uh, they didn't they didn't want to do this. And, and look, there's not a lot of money, I suppose, out of it for farmers. As well, the bigger picture is exports in the future. And this is why IBR was included in this scheme. We've got countries like um, France and Belgium um, and the Netherlands implementing IBR eradication programs. And in the future, if we don't have something similar, we may not get to those countries with calves, so it's really important that we start the ball rolling on that. This is part of that in terms of uh, testing the suckler herd for IBR. So it's 20 animals in your herd need to be tested for IBR by, by the end of the month. The vet comes out and does that, sends it off. A varying sort of levels of cost there from somewhere around 200, we've got as high as 250. You get paid 300 to do it. So it isn't, it was very lucrative for farmers to do that element of it. The other element of it is the meal feeding, and that's come back to, I suppose, very same as BPS last year, four weeks pre-wean and two weeks after wean, and make sure your dockets to show that you fed meal during that time. Um, and that's coming up around 35 euros a cow in terms of what they'll pay there in relation to uh, the meal feeding element. So, Again, it's, look, it's an important payment. It's, it's, it's not well funded there for, for a suckler herd. So the, I, I, was, I was encouraging guys to, and, and people to go into it, but um, we, we were about 16,000 in it. The, uh, just a question on that, Adam, and let you go on this, is if you have uh, less than 20 animals, say a fella has maybe three or four suckler cows, three or four weanlands, you just do them all, is it? Yeah, so, so you, you just, it, it's on a sliding scale in terms of based on the number of animals in your herd, and then you get paid on that in, in terms of the number of animals that you submit. So if you have less than 20 animals in your herd, no issue, you just you just test uh, up to the up to the number of animals that you have and you send them off and you get paid then. I think it's a sliding scale, 1 to 5, 5 to 10, 5 to 15, or 15 to 20 or something like that. Yeah, very good. Look, many thanks for Adam. We'll leave you back to the rugby training there, and you probably have hungry mouths to feed now when you go home, so you're a busy man this evening. <laughs> thanks, MJ. Lovely stuff. Thanks, Adam. Uh, Adam Woods there from the journals. Look, they're your main dates. Uh, please be wary of them and uh, keep an eye on them. They're mainly for this. Look, the big one is you have to be quality assured uh, by mid-October. Okay, and then you are looking at uh, sending off your tissue samples and sending off your blood samples as well. Okay, and your weights have to be in by the end of the month. So a few things to do, but just make sure you get those done in order to get your payments. Now, we're moving on to uh, the area of potatoes and we have a man from Borbia. Mike Neary is the horticulture manager with Borbia and he's a busy man this week ahead of National Potato Day on Friday. Many thanks for joining us, Mike. No problem, Andrew. Nice to talk to you. Uh, you're more than welcome, Mike. This is something I publicise this in the programme most years, to be honest, uh, because of the uh, the scale, I suppose, is 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 the stu- is the word I should use of the uh, the humble potato in the Irish market. And you're going to give us some figures in a moment. But your National Potato Day, it's been going on for north of ten years now. It's a big event, and the reason it's a big event is because we have such a close relationship with the humble spud. Uh, absolutely, MJ. And look, we, we do like to call it out every single year because. Uh, many many people from many years thought that maybe we were losing our love of the potato and the consumption was falling. But it's interesting, over the last number of years, we've seen consumption grow again and it's actually levelled off, which is quite encouraging. So of those people who are listening and going to the retailers to buy their potatoes, we buy roughly about 210,000 tonnes of potatoes in supermarkets across the country every single year. Up to 98% of our households are buying into the potato category. 
uh, which is great to see. And so what we're trying to do this year, like we do every year, is to try and continue to promote the taste of potatoes, the versatility, and the nutritional benefit of the potatoes. And we all hear about healthy diets and balanced diets as well. Well, as a carbohydrate source and a great piece of your diet, potatoes still hold that number one place in the majority of Irish households around the country. So one thing we're doing, and we might just let people know that they might go on to our own website, forbia.ie, or on to um, potato.ie, and on that there's a number of recipes, specially commissioned for National Potato Day. You might get the people to go and try them a little bit, see how they get on, because they are quick, they are convenient, and, and they're a great part of our, our national diet. And the big one, like uh, value, uh, great value. You know, you talk about different foods and people maybe trying uh, different types of diets and whatnot. You can go and you can buy potatoes at a at, at great value and uh, you can be, you know, uh, have a substantial meal thereafter. And that, that's one of the big ones, especially with the way inflation is at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. We say this across our whole, it's about getting that balanced diet and your potatoes and your fruit and veg are a key part of that diet. And, and you know, and even though we've seen inflation uh, talked about a lot as well, you know, what we also encourage is when people look at where they spend their money, your food is one of the most important things you can invest in for both your family and certainly potatoes are right in there. Number one is a great value for what you get for that particular product as well. It's really good. We have, I suppose, an important industry that that potato sector supports. I mean, we're producing over 8,000 hectares of potatoes every year, over 300,000 tonnes. Um, and it is, as I said, you know, content to be a very popular food product as well. So from a horticulture industry perspective, it is a key critical sector as well, and we'd just like to call out across the country, National Potato Day, to get people get out there, get into your supermarkets, buy your potatoes, and try something new and different with them, because they are actually fantastic food when you look at what you can do in terms of the range of recipes and the different ways you can actually cook them. Uh, we, you know, we try and promote that and highlight that on the website. 8,000 hectares multiplied by 20,000 acres of potatoes in the country. Wow, that's huge, huge numbers, Mike, isn't it? It, it is big. I mean, there was times when we, when we go back, MJ, and we had, had you know, 20,000 hectares of potatoes as well. So wow. I suppose over a number of years, that, that figure had fallen off. But the, the great thing about it is over the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, it's been always between eight uh, and 9,000 hectares of potatoes as well. So it has actually stabilised. And that's why it's placed in the market in terms of the key, the number one carbohydrate source for Irish consumers. When we look at the figures, still remains to be the potatoes. And if you look at our consumption naturally, we're consuming about 85 kilos per head of population of potatoes per year. And if we look at the figure globally, we're about two and a half times the global consumption level. Yeah. So our love of the data is still there, MJ, as well, and the figures back that up. I presume, uh, well, I had uh, Martin Coughlin, uh, he's a, a beef uh, writer on at the start of the programme and he was saying his local uh, chipper actually brings in potatoes from the UK for whatever reason, maybe it's the ones they want to uh, cook or whatnot. And I'm looking at the, the numbers we have here and I know you're pushing local chippers to use Irish spuds, but we obviously, uh, there must be a shortfall, I presume, um, uh, Mike, is there? We don't actually produce enough potatoes on the island of Ireland for what we consume given those numbers or am I right or wrong on that? Yeah, well, as well as we're talking there about a particular varieties that are grown for uh, the fresh chip market. Uh, the main variety grown here will be the marquee one. Mm. Um, and yes, we do import, I think last year was about 50,000 tonnes of potatoes wow. come in from the UK that went into call it the chippers. But one initiative that we have been involved in working closely with, with Chagas, the Department of Agriculture and in the IFA, is to try to encourage an increase in the area of potatoes that we go for the fresh chip trade. And that is coming from a very small base, as you say, but it is starting to grow. And one of the initiatives we're promoting this year in the south of the country, 
Um, and what that is doing there is there's a chip shop chain there based in County Cork, and currently they're sourcing all their chips from Irish, or their chips needed from Irish growers, Irish producers, and we're starting to see that that grow. So I think when we talk about the opportunities and the potential to replace imported products, we certainly see a big opportunity there, and we start to see that happening with, with, with some growers in the country as well, and we, we expect to see that grow in the coming years. Very good, Mike. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me and publicising National Play-Doh Day and we'll say many thanks for joining me here on the programme. Nice talk, MJ. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, Mike Neary there, Horticulture Manager from Board Bia and that is this Friday, National Potato Day and uh, what you would like to see is the potato growers getting paid properly for growing those potatoes and bringing them all the way to market because it's a tough, tough, tough game. No question about it, uh, especially when the weather goes against you when you're getting them out. Uh, now, the end of the programme is nigh. I'm going to take a break and after the break, we're going to be talking to Michael McAvoy about forestry, about ash dieback and the new forestry scheme. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore, supplier of new Holland's tractors in the Midlands WRshow.ie And you're very welcome back to Country Life here in Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to forestry and I have leashman Michael McAvoy on the line. Michael is the chairman of the Leash Farm Forestry Producers Group. Michael, thanks for joining me here this evening. Uh, don't mention MJ, thanks for having me on. Uh, you're more than welcome, Michael. We got news in the last uh, number of days about the National Forestry Programme. It's finally been waved the checkered flag and it's up and running but uh, what's overshadowing it at the moment is the ash dieback report which was published yesterday and it's the details on ash dieback for farmers who've been affected um from your own perspective michael from a, a forester's perspective and your own members perspective what, what exactly are the farmers looking for who have been affected by ash dieback well, as we know, ash dieback has been a serious problem for uh, ash growers and they, there are a lot of forestry owners in the country over the past, uh, up between 1990 and 2012, who planted ash and now 90 to 95% of, of ash plantations are dead because of the disease. And really what they're looking for under the scheme and under the new forest programme, because both are very closely linked, MJ, simply to get some kind of closure on the ash dieback and to get some kind of support towards uh, the rehabilitation of those woodlands and also to uh, close the whole ash thing so that there would be some confidence among farmers to uh, start um, getting involved in in the forestry schemes again because there's a very low level of confidence out there among farmers and as you know farmers are going to be the primary producers who will drive the whole forest program forward in the years ahead and if there's no confidence among farmers in the new program they certainly will not get involved in it. No, absolutely, uh, Michael. As you said, it's uh, it's akin to um, having, as someone said to me once, who suffered from ash dieback, it was like having livestock and they died in the field and you had to just leave them there and watch them uh, decay, essentially. And I always thought it was a, a very a horrible thought, but it was one that really painted the picture of ash dieback. It's, uh, it's, look, a huge, huge, huge issue, no question about it. Those farmers who are affected, look, if uh, compensation, adequate compensation comes in and, and uh, it seemed deemed to be worthwhile, uh, will they be able then to go back out to that uh, ground and, and plant maybe something that might come in a bit quicker, one of the softwoods, that they might be able to get a return out of it sooner rather than later? 
They, they possibly would, but what, what we're hoping for, and, and the uh, report that came out yesterday spelled it out, and was one line in it that really struck a, a chord with me particularly, and, and that was to quote directly from it. Uh, during the period 2018 to 2023, we find the state's response to the ash dieback crisis ineffective. So effectively for the past five years, we've been sitting on our hands with regard to ash dieback. And the sooner we get up and running with regard to giving farmers some level of compensation to clear the, the um, dead ash and salvage what they can out of it, which they haven't been able to do for the past five years, mm. then there will be the opportunity to get involved in the new program. Now, what level of compensation could compensate those farmers? I just don't know. And I don't know if they, if the recommendations... Uh, at least if they're put into effect, they might go some way towards um, helping those farmers involved. Like we are talking about a lot of farmers with small acreages of ash. That's the only thing. Like, you know, the uh, ash wasn't, I'd say 90% of farmers have less than six acres of ash, but there are a lot of farmers involved in it because there was... was, um, 700 almost 700 hectares a year planted between the period 1990 and 2012 when we stopped planting ash and it could be a um, a silly question if you're involved in it uh michael but ash uh, as it stands now it's just it's it's a no-go it's a, you can't be planted in ireland anymore is that correct you see the problem was that it was a great native species and it was a very valuable species species, both from a point of view of firewood and also for hurley production, because uh, like we, we need a certain amount of ash every year. Um, and we were importing it for quite a, a period. We were importing the timber to use it in the manufacture of hurls for quite a number of years while we waited for the, the native ash to come on. Unfortunately, hasn't occurred. Michael, I'm going to have to leave it there. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here on the programme. We'll have you on again and we'll speak about the new forestry programme. Many thanks, Michael. Okay, MJ, thanks. Uh, Michael McAvoy there from uh, Leash Farm Forestry Group. And I'm afraid we're just out of time. I planned on chatting about the new forestry programme to Michael, but we will do that another week. There are forestry sessions next week taking place in the Midlands. If you check out chagas.ie, you'll see them pop up. I'm going to say thanks to all my guests tonight. And I'm going to say thank you for joining me. I'll be back this time next week. Show is repeated Sunday morning, 7am till 8am. And we'll see you next week. Good night. God bless. Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. WOrshaw.ie.